Welcome to Drinking and Talking with your host, Vincent Franconi. And we're back. And we're back. We should do the NPR version of this conversation. <laughs> we did that last time, didn't we? We had NPR jokes. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It is sort of instinct when a microphone is in your face to do the NPR like affectation because uh, it's just too easy a joke in a way, but nonetheless. So we were talking about hangovers a minute ago, and I made the wrong uh, fallacious claim that I never get hangovers anymore, but apparently that's not true. By Eric's definition, I kind of do get a hangover, I guess. Because I always equate hangovers with being young and throwing up and also shitting at the same time, like both ends active and uh, just really, really incapacitated. But well, I think that's, that's a... That's a hangover. That, that, is, that is a hangover, <laughs> but it's like the, the, the worst hangover. I think, you know, like there's, yeah. you can get hungover and just be kind of like, oh, I just feel awful. I don't really want to work today, but I have to power through and work today. Well, that's normal. That's called every day. Oh, well, yeah. No, no, just Maybe kidding. you're mixing, mixing angst. Yes. Something like that. Swallowing bourbon and eggs. Mm-hmm. No, but like, I mean, the worst hangovers I've ever had, I guess, I just haven't had one of those in a while, but it's because you're young and stupid and you don't quite know, mm-hmm. like, when to sort of, okay, pump the brakes on this shit for a little bit. So, like, I haven't had one of those in a while, but I, I oh, guess it's that, just I've matured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, well, like, yeah, yeah. You just kind of control your drinking. You know, if you're drinking decent bourbon and stuff like that or good stuff, is that you're not, you're just you're yeah. drinking to enjoy it. And not drinking it to get uh, blackout drunk. Like, yeah, it is. When stuff like that happens, you get blackout drunk. And that, like, decent bourbon also, or decent liquor is part of it, because I think you get fucking horrible, you feel bad the next day because you're drinking terrible shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, the worst thing I ever had was when I was in my 20s, and I was drinking uh, at a bar with my brother in Lincoln Park, and he was trying to show me, like, this cool bar he went to, which was the douchiest bar I've ever been to. Uh, no offense to my brother. But it was a douchebag bar. And they had a uh, vodka and oyster shot. And everybody was, like, looking at the menu like, that's so gross. Hey, that's a what? A it was a shot of, oyst- of, of oyster. It was a shot of vodka with a raw oyster in it. Yeah, nothing good can come of that. But everybody was so scared of it that I had to do it. Uh-huh. I'm like, well, yeah. fuck you, wusses. I'll do this shit. Uh-huh. So I did, like, a bunch of those. And uh, that was the problem. Like, I shouldn't have been doing that. Because right. the next morning, I felt rotten. Right. Oh, yeah, well, because oysters are great and vodka is great. But you don't really do them at the same time. Whatever. I'm going to be doing. Uh, uh, you got to. I'm going to go to Chief O'Neill's for their uh, Oyster Guinness Fest. So. I saw you posting about that. Are you going to that? I'm going to that. Okay. So it's like well, three hours of Guinness and oysters and Irish music. Well, yeah. Well, maybe we can. Uh, maybe we'll meet up because yeah. that is just up the street from us. It's near where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of I like Chief O'Neill's enough. It's an okay yeah. place. I like it's, it. Well, it's, you know, Chief O'Neill's has it's got a fantastic beer garden outside. Yes. Yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, and their food. You know, they've got a, they do a great pour of Guinness. Yeah, uh, they had a good, obviously good whiskey selection, and their food's not too bad. You know, it's standard pub grub food, yeah. and uh, but it's you know their fish and chips. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it could be better, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like it's a good place. It's like what surprises me about Chief O'Neill's is how few people know about it. It's pretty uh, good, it's, uh, especially um, where it's at. I mean, like it's got a great beer garden, uh, but every time I go there. It's like half empty. That's what so, I like about it. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. So have you been there? Every, all of you who are listening to yeah. us, never go. Don't to go, Chief to, don't go to Chief O'Neill's. Don't ruin it for yeah. us. Yeah, go to. I'm, you know who I'm talking to. Yeah, you stay the fuck out. Uh-huh. Keep going to like you know, 
the clubs and make it rain. <laughs> Leave us old men to the fucking uh-huh. pub where we can just like yeah. have a pint uh, and listen to like, you know, some people with the violin singing about the fucking Pete and the fucking Irish and the fucking British. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Listen to the Pogues and Nick yes, Cave. exactly. And go fuck yourself. No, it's a, I do like the place and I was really excited because I thought I love Guinness and I love oysters and I love Irish music so this seems like it's handmade for me but I have a feeling like it may be another day where by like 5 o'clock I will be in bad shape because I will drink a lot of pints of Guinness and something about like only eating oysters with that. Well, you gotta you gotta you gotta lay a base down before you leave. I mean, you know, like make sure you get like some like you know bacon and eggs for uh, breakfast or something like that. Well, I'm worried that I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna uh, uh, save room for all the oysters I can eat. But I'll yeah, be like well, putting raw slimy oysters and well, pints well, of stout you know, oyster, in my system. Not, oysters are not filling. No, you know, they're not. You, you, you can have like twenty or thirty of them easily. And still want to? It doesn't fill you up the way that beer does. So. So basically, I'll be filling up on Guinness mm-hmm. and getting mild amounts of protein and nutrients from an oyster and iron. Right. But yeah. yeah. Well, this reminds me, I was telling, like, Lo and I were signed up for this because we thought it'd be fun. And uh, it reminded me immediately of the last time I went to New Orleans, which is another thing we have in common is we're both big fans of the city of New Orleans. Yes, yes. You got engaged there and I got married there. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, last time Lo and I went to New Orleans... There was one day we went to this diner in the, in the French Quarter that we kind of like because it's really greasy spoon diner and the waiters are really animated and it's cool. And we, we go there. the name of it? It changed names. From, like, it's always something new. Okay. But I could figure it out and send it to you. I can't remember off the yeah. top of my head. But, like, we go there and it's like the old wraparound style bar thing where you're sitting at sure. the diner table uh-huh. and the, the waiter comes up to you. And so I'm eating an omelet and hash browns and all this greasy food and drinking coffee. And it's about, you know, 11 in the morning. And the guy's like, where are you from? I said, Chicago. And then a few minutes later, the waiter comes back. He goes, here you go, Chi-Town, on the house. And he gives me a piece of pecan pie that he warmed up on the fucking grill with butter and then a big old thing of vanilla ice cream on top. And I'm like, it's 11.22 in the morning. And on top of eggs. And I'm in love. And I'm eating pecan pie. Um, that was the start of the day. And yeah. then a couple hours later, we're like, let's go to Acme and get some oysters. Uh-huh. So we're eating yeah. raw oysters and then the grilled oysters, which are full of butter and Parmesan. Uh-huh. And then we go to the Bombay Club where Lo and I uh, got hitched and we fucking drink. Uh, I'm drinking bourbon because it's happy hour and they're doing Maker's Mark for three bucks. And she's oh, yeah, she's asking the bartender to make her a drink that she comes up with off the top of her head <laughs> that featured like St. Germain gin and egg whites. Oh, that's fantastic. And she's drinking this craft cocktail. I'm drinking straight bourbons on top of the oysters, on top of the... the no, is this a day pie. that you're getting married? Or is this no, just this the, is, place that, the place that you got married? This is the place we got married. Okay, yeah. And then... Not that it would be wrong if there was a day that you got married. That would have been probably... I, I want to say that's okay. I'm not passing judgment. I was no. Just, I'm just... I'm just clarifying things for our listeners. That would explain, for the record, why uh, the goddess who is my wife married the weirdo that is me, Mm -hmm. as I got her drunk and full of oysters, and she said, fuck it, let's get married. Uh No, but that's not how it happened. I wish it did. Uh, She's a hell of a woman. Yeah, she is. uh, But, like, after, like, we've already had, like, eggs, pecan pie, and it's not even noon, Uh, oysters three ways, practically, lots of booze. Uh, we decided, let's get some beignets, because <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, right. So suddenly I realized it's 10 o'clock at night. It's not even that late. 
and uh, I'm fucked. Like my stomach can't handle this weird combination. Mm -hmm. And I remember going back to the hotel, like curling up in the fetal position and just being, God damn, I love New Orleans. Oh, this yeah. is gonna hurt for like the next 12 hours, but fuck, this is a great town. Shadowy band on a shadowy planet? Sounds like the theme to Kids in the Hall. I think that's who it is, but it's not the track. Yeah. It's not the track, but it is Shadowy Men. Yeah. I recognize the sound of it. Yeah. I love Shout it. out to the Kineen's bartender. Bartender has always got good music going. I love this guy. Last time I came to the Kuneens, uh, I walked in, this guy was behind the bar, and as soon as I walked, it was like one of the most perfect you walk into a bar moments. I come in and he's playing the Cramps, which is like one of my favorite mm -hmm. bands. Uh, and I just was like, you said, you played this for me. Like this is the intro music you want to hear walking into a bar. Mm -hmm. How do I fucking ever get something as serendipitous as that happening again? Well, that was a great New Orleans story that you had. My my New Orleans story is like, as you mentioned that I I proposed to my wife and she was gracious enough to accept in New Orleans. And so I, uh, we were staying at the, uh, the in the Bourbon Hotel and uh, on Bourbon Street. It was right by the hotel we were staying. It was right by uh, uh, St. Louis Cathedral. Oh yeah, yeah. And so we were down there. We walked in front of St. Louis Cathedral, which is right in front of Jackson Square Park. Yep. And uh, we were there around four thirty, five o'clock. Uh, and uh, we were standing in front of the park, and uh, that was where I uh, uh, proposed to her. And as you did, obviously she said yes. And was very excited. Uh, the best thing about it was is that after the proposal, I, I had arranged for dinner reservations at Muriel's, which is a fantastic uh, uh, New Orleans restaurant right next to Jackson Square Park, the Taunted really? by Slaves. But on the way over... The ghosts from, wait, wait on you. They serve you your food, the ghost uh, slaves. Yeah, yeah. No, we didn't see any of them. Okay. But we walked over, and on the, uh, the, the way walking over from the front of the, the park in front of the church, we got a standing ovation from all the homeless people ah. who were hanging out uh, in Jackson Square Park. And um, all the homeless people were telling me, tell, like, congratulating us, telling uh, Kelly that they loved her. Ah. Um, I think she took it in the spirit in which it was intended. But it was nice to be able to provide uh, a little show because it, I didn't make a grand production about it, so I didn't think anybody was really watching. Right. But uh, the funny thing is, is that when you're standing out in front of there, uh, I had a limited time in which to do it because there was a white limo right in front of uh, St. Louis Cathedral. <laughs> so I didn't want the, the wedding party that was obviously going out yeah. on there to come out and steal my thunder. They would ruin your shit right they there. They would, yeah. yeah. That's no but it all worked out well. Did, did Kelly never thought like when she saw the white limo, oh my God, he's so thoughtful, he set this up. No, We're gonna get whisked away in a limo. No, and we knew we, I, I, had her, I had her fooled. Okay. So uh, it, was, uh, it was a pleasant surprise all around. Yeah, I remember like our wedding was uh, was the most like we, we eloped, which um, I highly recommend to anybody out there who's thinking of getting married. Uh, it was the best thing I ever did in a sense because uh, we just didn't really want the big thing. Um, but I remember like when we went to New Orleans to do it, it was like um, I'm good. Glass of water if you don't mind, Jeffrey. Yeah, but like, it was it was kind of a good decision because we went to New Orleans. It's a good place to elope because if you don't know anybody there and we didn't. Like people are, it's kind of like you're saying with the whole thing, they're very willing to just like, oh, you're getting married right now? I'll be the witness that you need legally and I don't know you and I'll sign this. And I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Like, I don't you know. You New Orleans easily is just a that. great place to hang out. You know, it's yeah. been, we haven't been there in about eight years. You know, so that was the last time that we were there when I proposed. Really? I think we were there maybe about five years ago. Mm -hmm. 
because we got married seven years ago, and I think we went back twice since we got married. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's it's always good. It's uh, last time we it's went was one of these like amazing New Orleans moments where we were kind of like we we, we were kind of like actually walking around randomly, not planning on it. We we walked into a parade for the birthday of, of uh, Joan of Arc. Oh, yeah. And it was like amazing, like this is the kind of thing you're only gonna see in New Orleans, spontaneous, oh, nice. beautiful That's parade. Awesome. I stand corrected, we did go there once after we were married. I thought so. Yeah, we did. And I think that we, um, uh, when we were there, one of the places that we, uh, I highly recommend, you know, we didn't stay a lot, we, we went to a few places in the quarter. Um, uh, there's a, uh, a hotel, there's a bar near the Omni Hotel um, that's fantastic. And the waitress there is just amazing. Really? Uh, the bartender. She's amazing. But uh, we went to Frenchman Street, oh, which yeah. is on the other side yeah. of the quarter. And there are loads of great jazz restaurants oh, there. Yeah. And one of them was... Uh, Spotted Cat. The Spotted Cat. Yeah. Have you been there? Yeah, that place is great. Yeah, oh, we love that. We were there. Yeah. Everybody was so friendly. We were able to get seats. And yeah. the bands were great. And like one, there was a band playing. It was all New Orleans jazz. And some guy just showed up. And he had... He had a case where he had this little French horn in. Yeah. And he took his French horn out and he started playing a solo with them. And uh, it was a great time. That's a, It was a great stretch. And if you don't really, you know, the uh, French Quarter gets a bad rap because of, you know, all of the the reckless drunkenness that's there right on Bourbon, Bourbon Street. Street's a little bit, yeah. But a there's a lot of other areas in the French Quarter. Royal Street, Royal Street Charter, Charter Street, Street. Yeah, that sure. have a lot of really interesting bars uh, and that we can visit that, and yeah. restaurants to eat at that aren't overrun by a bunch of, you know, college douchebags. Well, the uh, first time I went to New Orleans, you recommended that we check out uh, Pravda. Pravda, that's Which not there really, anymore. It's not there anymore? No, it's not Thank there. You. We were there, like one of the times we were there, it was gone. But yeah, Pravda was a great... That was a great place. It was a great vodka bar. And absinthe. They had a lot of good absinthe. Yeah. It was a communist theme. And the great thing is you walk in, there's a bar, but then in the back, there's a giant courtyard. Yeah. It was like a very European-style courtyard. And we were spending a bunch of time in there. We were there like one... We were there one afternoon, and we were the only people in there. And we were listening to, I think we listened to all three CDs of Tom Waits's Beggars, oh, uh, Ballers, and Brawlers. Brawlers, Brawlers and Bastards. Yeah, yeah. That, that 3D Which is set, great stuff. Yeah. All that. That was uh, Kelly's introduction. I think that was Kelly's introduction to Tom Waits. Does she like Tom Waits? Oh, she does. She loves them. See, Lowe's not really too down with the Tom Waits. No, but, we gotta, uh, we gotta, Lowe and I, we have to have a talk. Well, that. Tom Waits is my hero. You're he's not a amazing. fan, are you? Jeff's not a fan either. Tom Waits is my hero. It's still the yeah. best concert I've ever been oh, yeah. to. Oh, he's amazing. Wait, you saw him in concert? I saw him in 1999 Where? at the Chicago Theater. Oh, that's awesome. For the Mule Variations Tour. Motherfucker comes Salud. out. Salud. Salud. Here you go. You. Oh, you. it was so great. Comes out on stage, does the entire show, um, has a set with his band, has a set with just him and the piano, has a set with him and the piano, the upright bass player, brings the band back out, four encores. Motherfucker that's did four that's encores. Awesome. That's that's the one concert they will spend like two hundred dollars yeah. or whatever it takes next time he goes on tour to see. But I've seen it's Nick Cave a couple of times. Yeah. I didn't see him last time he came through. Um, so I've seen him. Like I think, I think Tom Waits is probably the only living person that I have not seen who I would really want to see. It's, and I hope it's pretty that great. he does another tour. And he does it, you know, so rarely. Do you know the uh, you know the Black Rider record? Oh yeah, I love the William Black Burroughs. Riders. He made that record. Yeah. So he, the song that opens the Black Rider is sort of like this. Uh, it's like this carnival barker song, 
yeah. screaming like, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what he came out to open with. So the band sets up and Tom comes from the back and he's running through the Chicago theater, screaming the lyrics of the song and throwing cigars and glitter. In one, hand, in one hand, he's got a bunch of cigars and in the other hand, he's got glitter. And he's just throwing them in the air, screaming, nice. ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming on stage tonight. Harry's Harbor Bazaar, Human Oddities. And he's just throwing them in the air. And he ha- he's standing and singing on a platform where there's a microphone underneath a wooden board that he's dancing on and he's got heels so he just stomps and that's part of the percussion. He stomps along with a snare drum basically. So this is the snare drum cracks and it's Tom Waits' boot on a on an amplified piece of board. And it was just it was a great show. Oh, he, that's fantastic. he had he had a hat like a bowler hat made of disco ball mirrors. I mean just every sort of like great Tom Waitsian moment uh, was on display yeah. that night. It was like a two hour concert. He's oh, like, wow. I don't think he, I don't know. He's getting up there though, so he made a tour yeah. again. And his voice is fucked. I mean, his voice has always been fucked, but like his last album, his voice is really fucked. Uh, like yeah. all the smoking and bourbon have taken its toll. Uh-huh. Nevertheless, he's that's, my great. Guy. that's great. Like, I you remember one of my friends said that like Tom Waits, Bob Dylan, and Leonard Cohen are like three guys who inspire this culty devotion. And uh, it's hard. To, you can be a fan of all three, but it's hard to like love them equally. And uh, Tom yeah. Waits of that of those three is my guy. Yeah, Leonard I, Cohen's those, number two, and fuck yeah. Bob Dylan. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't really care about Bob Dylan. Sorry, Leonard Jeff. Cohen, it's like, yeah, Leonard Cohen's fine, but uh, yeah, it's like it's I do love Leonard. Candle to Tom Waits. I do love Leonard Cohen, but it's just they're not alike. They're not really comparable. Oh, yeah, they're very, yeah, they're very different. You know, all three of them I think are very different. But like when I heard that, it kind of made sense because like I do know people who are fanatics about all three of those guys. No, you agree with that. Yeah. And uh, like their yeah. fanaticism is hard to explain. It, it, the truth, yeah. Well, the truth is, is that if you don't like any of them, uh, if you don't like any particular one of them, and you run into somebody who loves them, yeah, it's just going to make you dislike that 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 love, dislike that performer even more. It's like, well, that's me and Bob Dylan. I mean, the reason, yeah. the only reason I don't really like him is is. Uh, because my roommates in the 90s were so into that shit and uh, like I just couldn't take it anymore like I, I need a day off yeah and so like I got I got in a fist fight with a roommate because and by day you mean lifetime yeah well yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I did get in a fist fight with a roommate who was like wanted to put on the Bob Dylan uh, box set that he got for Christmas again and I'm like can we not did fucking you, listen you to Bob the Dylan the amendment cruel and unusual punishment kinda yeah and he actually and here's the thing he decided instead to put on a different Pop Dylan record as the alternative. Because <laughs> I said, don't play that don't box they all set. sound the same anyway? Well, he went from like, a, 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 like the only Bob Dylan record that I ever liked for the record is uh, Desire. Because it's like, there's violins and there's it's, it's percussion. It's not just Bob and his shitty harmonica and his acoustic guitar. Jeff is looking at me like, I don't know, he's got to look away. Sorry, uh, dude. Jeff is a, I, is Jeff a Bob Dylan fan that we're, uh, yeah. we're insulting? I mean, okay. I'm yeah, in the minority, okay. I know, but. <laughs> But like when I remember like thinking, okay, so he put a different record on. I'm like, great, another shitty record where a wheezy old fucker <laughs> is singing over a crappy acoustic guitar. And this dude pounced on me. He like leapt off of the couch and started beating the shit out of me because yeah. I said shit about Bob Dylan. And we rolled around on the floor hitting each other. I'm like, oh my god, I'm getting in a fight with someone Listen, over Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan. Never wanted this. Then, he man. did. He man. never wanted that, man. That was not what Bob Dylan was about. It wasn't. Yeah, I know that much. But at that moment, Bob Dylan inspired violence. <laughs> He inspired and Bob, pure Bob Dylan violence. Bob Dylan inspired violence is the saddest kind of violence. 
Because <laughs> it's violence, but like it's enigmatic uh-huh. and weird violence uh-huh. that you think you understand. It's very violence. But you really don't. Uh-huh. It's Bob going something like, you know, saying something cryptic and people like reading 17 pounds of fucking like insight into it. Uh-huh. Sorry, Jeff is going to edit all this out. Yeah. It's gold, man. I actually have like, like I said, when Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize, like I did write a, like a blog post about it. And I'm like, I get it. Like he's a genius. He's just not my kind of genius. Like I'm willing to admit that there's like importance to him culturally. It's just, you know, you have to admit that there are some things you just don't get. And I'm not going to fake it. And I've tried to fake it. I've been like, yeah, I like but Dylan, he, he, but I don't. He, like, he, won, he won the Nobel Prize for poetry, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, for literature. 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 For the, and I, think, for, I, I had a friend of mine who was... Uh, very, very vehemently opposed to that. It's like it's it not, split a lot of people. Yeah, because yeah. it's not mostly her, her position was he's a songwriter and that's fine, but it's not literature and it's not poetry. And he's already famous enough. And why aren't we recognizing? Other yeah, people? the idea of literature doesn't get as much attention as yeah. music. Probably. I don't really have a horse in that fight, but that was yeah. well. I, I do kind of have a horse in that fight oh, no, because I imagine you do because yeah, I do absolutely. feel like the Nobel Prize exists to sort of give a little bit of recognition to people you might not normally read. And it's not like Dylan needs any help to like become famous. Right. So I get that, was, that argument. That was the crux of her argument too. But I also I, I do get. But here's the thing that like like, and sound opinions again. They kind of were talking about it. And they had the best take on it, which is even though Derigatis, you know, I don't always love everything that guy says. He's actually the drummer from my friend's band, so I can't talk too much shit. But still, fuck that guy. But like, <laughs> the thing that was funny is he and Greg Cop made a really good point, which is if you take Dylan away from the music and just look at the words. It's not as uh, impacting. Like you right. really need the entire Dylan package yeah. of the lyrics, which you know are arguably brilliant. Some people say the music is emotionally evocative, and the production, everything about the package is important. And if you strip any of that away and just look at the words as a piece of literature, they're not as impacting. Right. And I think there's an argument to be made that like it diminishes him as an artist to to, to give him a award for literature. Like right. he should get awards for just being an artist, I guess. I, mean, I don't if know. They, if they have, I mean, do you want to like, weigh in on this, Jeff? Just, 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 he, he took that reluctantly as fuck. I know, oh, he, no, did. he did. He did. Yeah, to his credit. Right. That's to all his I'm credit. saying. To his oh, yeah, credit. I'm just going to leave that there. This I don't is, think that oh, no, was I think, his idea. Oh, no, I agree with that. I think this is, the, the arguments against it are more to be, are more kind of like, what the fuck, Nobel Committee? I understand why they did it, though. It's nothing against, it's nothing against, Dylan. Bob Dylan. You know, Dylan does the fact that D- Dylan's doing what he's doing. It's not his fault that somebody wants to award him yeah. with that. It's nothing against that, but it's sort of like, are you? You know, it's like, but to like what you said, what they said on Sound Opinions. He's a musician, and there's not a Nobel Prize for musicianship. Right. right. It's a Nobel Prize for literature. Well, and you know, nobody's you know, and, and nobody's testing out whether literature is better when you're listening to music behind it you know you gotta you just have to with literature you have to read whatever it is that you're reading yeah and does that stand on its own merits well i mean like i've taken a lot of classes in poetry where the argument comes up at some point of our popular lyrics and songs that are really good lyrics do they count as poetry and i had a teacher when i was in the, like years ago who said i want you to do that i want for the record let's just pretend that they are bring in lyrics, print them up, and we will examine them as if they were poetry, and we'll see if they te- they scrutinize. And I brought in lyrics by, uh, actually it was by Peter Gabriel when he was with Genesis from The Land Lies Down on Broadway, because that's like one of my favorite records. And I thought, these are really cryptic and cool. It's gonna blow everyone's mind. And as soon as I was reading them aloud in front of a group of people without the music, I'm like, this is bullshit. 
You yeah. need the music to carry this shit. Right. right. And I understand suddenly the point of this exercise, like the music is part of it. You need it. You can't divorce the two. Um, whereas Dylan, I think that's maybe an argument you can make. But the thing that I understand why the Nobel Committee gave it to him, and here's why. For years they have been saying, fuck you, America. You guys are too insulated as a culture. You don't translate enough. You don't care about what's going on in the world of literature. You only care about your own little self-navel-gazing you know, literary community. And we're here in Sweden. We don't give a fuck about that. And we haven't awarded anybody the Nobel Prize from your country since 1993. Toni Morrison was the last one to get it in 93. So when they finally, and every year, like when someone gets the Nobel Prize in America, we go, who the fuck is that? And then we have to like figure out who this French or Chinese person is who's getting the Nobel. But this year they decided, let's throw a bone to America, but let's give a fuck you to America. Who's your greatest writer? A fucking singer. He's not even a writer, technically. He's not even one of your poets or novelists. He's a songwriter. That's the best you guys can come up with. Not even like an actual published literary figure, but a songwriter. That's the theory as to why Bob Dylan got it. Because it's a little bit of a fuck you to Don DeLillo and Philip Roth and everybody else who thinks they deserve it. Is that what you think, or is that what you? That's read? what a lot of people, people are, are saying. Thinking. Oh, thinking, yeah. But I see uh, the logic behind it. Yeah, because they have been on record as saying that America is not subliterate, but very insulated, and therefore they don't take us as seriously right. as, say, Europe and Asia and Eastern Europe and South America and places like that, where we're not really. It's true, we do not read widely. We very much ourselves. We're interested in American culture. We don't really, like right. if you ask anyone in, in India, who is the most, like who is Brad Pitt? They all know who Brad Pitt is. Ask the average American who's the greatest Bollywood actor. Let's see if they know who Shahrukh Khan is. They don't, because we don't give a fuck. We're very, we're very hegemonic. We export our culture. We don't import as much as we export. And that's a complaint that the Nobel folks have with us. Right, I don't think yet, to the, but to the extent that they're, if that's the argument that, that they're, they're trying, if that's what they're trying to do, to the extent that they make that award at all, I don't think that message is going to get across to anybody. You don't think so? No. Uh, I think it's going to it's going to annoy people who are like, well, there's probably this other author, he may or may or may not be an American, who's probably deserving of that. Oh, so like if they would have chosen Nicholas Sparks, that oh, shit would have been saying, hilarious. No, I'm not saying they should have done that or anything like that. I think they, I mean, maybe they were trying to. I guess maybe they were, maybe that what they were doing is it was trying to be an FU to America, but it probably just all it ended up doing was, you know, just like undermining the the Nobel Prize itself. If that person wasn't, well, if there was somebody who might have been more worthwhile, yeah. whether it was an American or not. Well, for the record, this is the Nobel Prize of Literature is one thing. The Nobel Prize in general, like the Nobel Peace Prize, has been invalidated as a thing ever since. Uh, Ever since Henry Kissinger won it, it's no longer been a relevant thing because okay. fuck that guy. Right. And, and then even Barack Obama, for the record, like, what did he do to deserve the Nobel? It was weird. You know, there, it, I mean, the whole thing is very weird because, yeah, he was, I don't know why they would, you know, award him that because he hadn't really done anything. Nope. It's all very symbolic. He just, his, 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 his qualification was he wasn't George W. Bush, <laughs> as far as I could tell. Yeah. But, yeah. like, I mean, I, mean I, I do get very literature geeky in October is really when like they start like we start placing bets and not real bets but like you can do the office pool thing 
And there's a British website called Lambrokes that does like betting, and they always have the odds. So right around October, you'll see who the odds are favored to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. And there's like a little bit of a literature geek in me that gets really excited, and it's always the same like 20 people, and they never really win it. It's always like Haruki Murakami, Philip Roth, Adonis, who's the Syrian poet, um, guys like that, and then it's just like, it always goes to somebody we don't know. And Bob yeah. Dylan has always been like 80th on the list. So anybody who bet on Bob Dylan last year, if they actually bet on him, they cleaned the fuck up. Because it was like 80 to one or something crazy yeah. like that. So good for you if you made money off that shit. <laughs> but Dylan won, I mean, like a lot of my friends who aren't Americans think it's awesome. Like I met this kid when I was in Belfast, uh, who lives in Cork, speaking of Cork, and he's a big Dylan fanatic, and he thought it was great that Dylan won. He was like really on board with that, because he thinks he's a Dylan worshiper, and thinks it's amazing. So I'm like, I kind of get like, I think Dylan's legitimacy outside of America is bigger even than it is in America. Like I think people all over the world recognize Dylan as being a genius, that in America we kind of see him in a number of different ways, one of which is a cranky old fucker. You ever see that movie he made called Mastin Anonymous? No, I never have. Have you ever seen that, Jeff? This is for Dylan fans only. You can't watch this movie unless you are a, an absolute Dylan worshiping apologist. It's the piece of fucking shit that Dylan made as an actor, and he co-wrote it, and it sucks, but like Dylan fanatics think it's good because they will apologize for every Christmas record Starbucks CD he puts out. You like the Christmas record? Fuck yeah. You like the Christmas oh. record? <laughs> Jeff likes the Christmas record. It's good? It's really good. Oh my God. I love it. I'm a sucker. Oh, does he, so is Dylan singing classics like Dylan Jingle Bells and stuff like that? Yeah. Uh, okay. But it's Jingle Bells through Dylan's lens. Uh, oh God. So it's sad and depressing? Uh, no. Oh, no. Why am I getting this look? <laughs> okay, so for the record, there are a handful of Bob Dylan songs I like. I can name them on maybe one hand, but they are like I can't even like everybody whoever whoever we're talking shit about musically, they may there's probably a song I like. Like it's really hard for anybody to suck so bad I can't like one song. Jeff's giving me a look, and I know I can name some names, with the exception of Coldplay because they suck. <laughs> like every Coldplay song blows. Uh, like there's yeah. no redeeming Coldplay moment. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so that's one example. But like Katy Perry, I may not like her, but Hot and Cold maybe I don't mind hearing. Uh, you know. We talked about Taylor Swift. I'm sure there's a, t- there's a Taylor Swift song that if it's on, I wouldn't hate it. If I hate 98% of it, there's 2% I don't hate. Bob Dylan's the same way. Like, Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll is a great song. Hurricane is a great song. Every other song blows. But those two are great. I, I, I hate to keep chiming in. The other point about Dylan songs is other people doing Dylan songs are usually better than Dylan doing Oh, that's interesting. In my opinion. There's almost an argument to be made for that for a lot of those guys we were talking about. Leonard Cohen had a tribute record, and my my sort of way into Leonard Cohen was listening to a tribute record to Leonard Cohen, because all those songs were his, but other people were singing them, and I kind of dug those, and then I went back and dug into the Leonard Cohen stuff. Nobody does Tom Waits better than Tom Waits, though. You can't really do Tom Waits unless you're Tom Waits. You can't pull that off. We need a Swans tribute record. That's what I, I want to hear. It, uh, I don't know what the point of that would be because uh, like, a Swans, the, the beauty of the Swans is its heaviness, and nobody can do heavy like the Swans. That's can. true. I don't think anybody anybody wants like you know an acoustic Starbucks version <laughs> of uh, 
celebrity uh, lifestyle. Celebrity lifestyle. She's got a celebrity lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, very upbeat version. Put it in a major key instead. Although now that you mention that, that could be interesting. You know, if you had like I don't know. like I'm trying to think of a, of a positive, like happy Lord, like Lord, Lord yeah. doing a cover of Celebrity Lifestyle. Yeah, or that would yeah. be good. Or uh, who's the um, the other girl on uh, that everybody loves? No, she's like did. Uh, I, I I picture her. I can't think of her name. It's like a young artist doing like you could see I could see a bunch of it would be interesting to have like a bunch of different pixie girls doing oh that would be awesome of uh to have like especially like the, the early songs about rape and stuff yes. like that, that all the ones be, about Phil that would be ironic yeah stuff, stuff like that. just to have all these like you know Selena Gomez like, doing know, that yeah, yeah a couple of girls singing uh, about public castration is a good yeah. idea yeah. things like that that would be awesome to yeah. see like Taylor Swift Selena uh, Gomez Katy Perry yeah uh-huh. The girl who did that, it's Friday song. Who was her name? Rob. Uh, what was her name? I can't remember. Remember that song? It was like a YouTube hit. Yeah, it's Friday. And she was like all, everyone made fun of her for it. It's kind of like she was the next Justin Bieber. Because Justin Bieber was kind of like that. He was like a YouTube kid. who. Lana Del Rey? That- yeah, that was it. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I'm kind of ashamed I knew that. But it's like, <laughs> it sounds correct. I think you said everybody hated her for it. And I'm like, oh, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, that's what we need. We need like some like 15-year-old white girls who are on YouTube making like the most bubblegummy thing to do Swans covers. That would be hilarious to me. Just something happy, cheery. No one kills like a cop. No one burns their skin like a cop. It's very, it'd be Smiths. You know, it'd be like, the, like a modern day Smith yes. sort of thing. We're just kind of jangly like a jaunty, upbeat. Ja- a jaunty uh, guitar track and some, uh, you know, it's like, it's like the Smiths or the, um, uh, uh, the other British band, uh, The Cure. No, no, uh, it's jam. Like, they're no, they're like uh, the Nightingales or something like that. They're not sound the Nightingales, uh, but it's like James, you know, it's just like oh, just Smith style music. Yeah, just like you know, bar chords and really heavy strumming and very yeah. open. Yeah, uh-huh. I kind of like the Smiths. I've done a little bit of a turnaround on because my wife is a big Smiths and Morrissey fan. And in high school, I never you could have met a more like anti-Smiths person than me. Because I was just like all about the punk rock and the misfits and the shit like that. And it's like, fuck this bullshit. But I've like really come to appreciate them. And I'm sort of like amused by Morrissey because like I listen to the lyrics now and I don't take them seriously. And they're actually very funny. Uh, well, they're very funny. I mean, the thing, that's one of those things like, you know, when you're when you're when you listen to Smiths when you're 16 to 21. You take it seriously. They speak to you in a very deep emotional way. If you feel alienated and you're very serious about them. And you're like, oh, I'm going to cut my wrist. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Uh, and then I think you go through a period where you're kind of like, oh, you know, I'm kind of like, it's a bit much. It's a bit overdramatic. And then uh, later on, you listen to it. And you just kind of like, you enjoy the silliness of it. Yeah. And, uh, and the, it's got the guitar thing to it. And I Johnny Marr is a, is a monster. Oh, great that guitar. guy can play. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, uh, like a couple weeks, like two weeks ago, Kelly and I were out for dinner at a fantastic Italian restaurant in Logan Square Osteria Lange highly recommended yeah. uh, but it was like they were uh, they were playing some like I heard some Smith songs on the speakers while we were there yeah. and I'm like this is really good we get home and I'm like 
you know, fixing a couple after dinner cocktails, I'm going to listen to like Louder Than Bombs. Yeah. And it was, and, and some of uh, some of like Morrissey's solo stuff too, November Spawn's a Monster, and things like that. Well, there's a mo- which I, is really fun to and like uh, the craze, which is really fun to listen to. There, you know, the, the way I got into Morrissey's solo because I never really cared about that as much, and uh, my wife played me uh, years ago the first like Morrissey solo record she played for me was uh, Your Arsenal. Which if which is very heavy and it's got Mick Ronson who was Bowie's guitarist for the Spiders oh, really? Mars era. I've never listened to that album. It's really good. Like yeah, Mick Ronson is playing really just chunky, rocking, very distorted, very heavy guitar on that I record. Have to check and, that out. It's kinda of like I get it. Like Morrissey is I could see him like growing up listening to like Ziggy Stardust. And that being a very influential thing, and like I need to get Mick Ronson on my record, and what he brings to that record is really pretty good. And so like I kind of like got a late develop like appreciation because Bowie is my hero, and so like oh, yeah, if, yeah, if, yeah, if hey, Morrissey's gonna like get, get one of the Bowie veterans on there, like by all means. Like yeah. my favorite guitar player I think these days is uh, Robert Fripp, who was in King Crimson. Oh yeah. And King well, Crimson's great, but like the greatest thing Robert Fripp ever did was, was play on fucking Bowie's records. Yeah, low heroes. Like heroes and scary monsters. Yeah. The guitar playing yeah. on it's no <laughs> game. Which is just like the most distorted, sloppy, beautiful guitar playing oh, solos, yeah. where Bowie's screaming yeah, "Shut up!" Teenage wasteland. Oh yeah, yeah it's, it's just good. like this is this is what Robert Fripp should be doing. Yeah, is the like guitar is amazing. I don't know, like I was, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but like floating around the interwebs was a video of. Uh, uh, Lemmy doing a cover of Heroes. Really? Yeah. Lemmy from Motorhead. Lemmy, Motorhead. Motorhead Ooh. is doing a cover for Heroes, and it is amazing. I'm sh- oh, man. And I, I played that. I watched that on YouTube, and then I was just like looking for. Okay, we're gonna. I think it was like, it, like at home watching them. Like, hey, we're gonna. It's all Bowie from here on out. But like looking for the original <laughs> Heroes. My night is Bowie like obsessive. Now. Yeah. Yeah, it's but, better than uh, Dylan's kid doing it, right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry to keep talking shit about Dylan, but Jacob Dylan's <laughs> heroes. Do you like the uh, Wallflowers? Oh, no? Okay, good. Fuck yeah, that, man. No, like, yeah, the talent skips a generation in that family. But no, uh, no. Lemmy, Lemmy Motorhead, Motorhead's cover of Heroes is fantastic. Heroes is... And you it, should all check it out. Heroes is a, is, is a song that every... 10 years of my life I, I have a new appreciation for because like it's yeah. a beautiful song and the first time I heard it it was you know I was younger deep, it's a deep emotional song yeah you can't then, help but respond the, to the guitars like you said it's gorgeous the guitar is amazing yeah. Fripp is a guy who like could play like a monster but but restrained himself when he needed to and Heroes is the best example like 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 Scary Monsters has got guitar like the solo for the guitar playing for the song Fashion by Bowie is so dirty and awesome. Like, Fripp is my man. When I hear that, I'm like, Fripp is a monster. But like, Heroes, it's like this sustained note. It's atmosphere and layers oh, of yeah. it he creates with that guitar. Well, I think I said, like, was he just holding the note and like when Eno was recording it, the microphone was in one place and Fripp was just walking around. Yes. Yep. So it's like, that makes the sound different. Okay. It's pretty great. But like, when I first heard that song, you know, I responded to it in the ways it always did. A couple of years ago, actually, one of my friends, uh, my friend who used to be my boss at the bookstore, he died. And before he died, like a couple of months before, like I went and saw him at uh, this like horrible fucking nightmare of a like facility he was living in. It was like assisted living. And he was just like laying there half paralyzed. And hey, there's Steve. And uh, like fucking um, had a piss jug that he had to pee into. It was this nightmare thing. And I remember seeing him and he was so like close to death that I was just clear, like, this is probably the last time I'm gonna see him. 
And I went into my car and I was so depressed and I turned the radio on and XRT started playing Heroes. And I'm not ashamed to say I bawled. I was just like the entire, like Heroes was the perfect song to hear when like, here's a buddy of mine who's gonna die soon. And there's this triumphant, like fighting against the horrible things in life song that I'm hearing. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, I can't think of a better moment to hear Heroes right now. I'm depressed as shit and I'm bawling like a fucking child, but Heroes is like, I'm, I'm seriously affected by this song. That's a song that'll do, a song that'll do it to you. It's, it's great stuff. I love that when we saw um, at the MCA, Jeff and his wife saw, what's the name of the band? Disappears. Disappears do the lowest record, which I saw, which was amazing. Cause Low is my favorite Bowie record. And they did the entire thing start to finish and they killed it. But we went and saw the Mekons, yeah, uh, John Langford and yeah, Sally Timms doing yeah, Bowie. Yeah, John Langford and Sally Timms. They just did a collection of songs, and that and was that was, uh, that was pretty they great. Did, they did an amazing they job. They just killed it. it. Yeah, and they I did mean, a lot of uh, Latin same material, but they kind of yeah, reached into some they weird. Did, they did deep tracks. They know? did. They did a lot of deep tracks that we didn't know about. And yeah. Did, yeah. Dancing around, and yeah, we and we met, and we, we got to hang out with uh, and chat with Langford afterwards. This is the thing I'm jealous of: is Eric has a weird, like John Langford recognizes you. Yeah, and John Langford is a Chicago-based musician from Wales who is in the legendary Mekons. Mekons are one of my five favorite bands. I love the fucking Mekons. And years ago- Mekons are amazing. Mekons are great. And Langford moved to Chicago and Sally Timms lives, I think, in, in Evanston or Chicago. Yeah, she they works. both live in Chicago. Yeah. And so they perform a lot locally. And the Mekons, when they, when they form as an actual band once every decade or so, they'll always play Chicago. So you know you're gonna see them at like the, the fucking- uh, Hideout. The hideout. At the hideout. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a new DVD out. Uh, there's a new movie out about the Mekons. It's gonna be on the hideout. Really? We're see them in two weeks. But yeah. like, so Eric and his wife and me and my wife went to go to the Metropolitan, uh, to the uh, MCA, uh, Museum of uh, Contemporary Art, to see Langford and Sally and a couple other people do some Mekons, do some Bowie songs as a tribute. And afterwards, I go to get the car because I'm a gentleman and I'm driving everybody home. <laughs> he is, he and is. And as I'm going to get the car, my wife, Eric, and his wife are hanging out at the MCA waiting for me. And lo and behold, John Langford, one of my heroes, walks out to go mingle. And Eric and everybody goes up to him because I guess you know him from somewhere. Yeah. And every and, and, and your wife Kelly comes out to me and she goes, oh, everyone will be out soon. They're talking to John Langford. And I'm like, what am I doing in the fucking car? I want to go talk to John Langford. You know, he yeah, won't friend me on Facebook. Well, Fucking, the, what the hell, John? Well, your wife was kind enough to take pictures of me talking with John yes. Langford. So you will have that as a, in, in, for, in memoriam. It's probably best I didn't talk to John Langford because uh, <laughs> about a year or two ago, Eric and I went to the hideout. We saw John and Sally and Robbie Folks playing uh, uh, the mini Mekon songs from their Scottish record. And that Rico, was a great show. It was a great show. show. Yeah. And Rico Bell was from the Mekons was playing with them. He's the accordionist. And I got, I think we were, I was a little drunk. And I went up to the bar to the hideout to go get another whiskey. And there's Rico. And I'm like, I gotta go talk to Rico from the Mekons. And I probably cornered him for 15 minutes. Like, do you remember when you guys played this song? That shit's awesome, dude. And he's like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, I remember, like, well, Sally was selling CDs for $5 that were like, she had like a bunch of CDs from one of her releases. Yeah, from her solo record. A solo record that was in her closet. And uh, she was just getting rid of them. They're all sale for $5. Yeah. So we bought, we each bought yeah, one. Yeah, got them signed. And, and we got them signed. And you, I think you said that 
you know, you when you had him sign my copy, he said, oh, Eric's a lawyer. So she, like, wrote something about it. I'd have to go check on the CD about, like, you know, like, you know, something about the law on the sign when she signed the copy for me. Well, Sally works for lawyers. Right. Oh, yeah. Sally's she's a paralegal. A, she's a paralegal. That's yeah. her day job when she's right. not singing with the I mean, You should have bonded with her. I wanted that. to. But you but were too I, drunk. Oh, I was like, yeah, my friend's a lawyer. You uh, work for lawyers? And she's like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah. Who would I make this out to? Go yeah. fuck yourself. Uh, yeah, she's very business-like. Sally, like, yeah. Of all the Mekons, this is sort of bad to say, but like, Sally Timms is always in town and hangs out with fans, but like Sally Timms isn't nearly like the John Langford approachable, to be honest. Sally like doesn't give a fuck, and John, Tim- and John Langford will yeah. give a fuck. You know, everybody, you know, everybody nationwide likes to give a shit, like shit all over Chicago. But yeah. Chicago is a great city to live in. Not only um, one of the reasons is is because you have so many musicians yeah. that live in the town, and that they can they hang out locally, and so you can go to the hideout and you can drink. And uh, a lot of times, you might run into Sally, you might run into John, or Robbie Folks, who was like who was like who was like the amazing. musician in, in residence there. Practically, right. he's got like a yeah. night. Where he just goes up yeah. and plays the songs, and there's just like the great amount of music that's going on here in Chicago that yeah. you can absorb that, and um, um, you know there's so much good food, yeah. so much good. Um, you know, if you want to spend a lot of money on food, you can, but if you want, you know, Chicago is a great place for cheap eats as well. Well, I was um, thinking about it because like last time we were at the bar, we were doing a podcast. We ordered some food from my my friend Jason who. Uh, the joke was he's unemployed, so we bought him dinner. Uh, but like on this strip of Devon alone, there are three Thai restaurants, uh, a couple pizza places, a sushi place, and so like Kunin's does not serve food. But whenever you ask if they serve food, they will give you a menu of every Edgewater Rogers Park place to get food. And there is like you can get pretty much anything you want ordered right now here, and that is not something you can probably do in any other town, like right. in a lot of other towns. And yeah, and it's, it's very affordable. Yeah. So like. Like, you know, you could shell out. We were talking like Clark Street in Rogers Park, which is sort of where Jeff lives, closer to the Clark Street scene. Like, how many taquerias are on that fucking street? More than I have fingers. Yeah, more than he has fingers. Yeah. And I think mean, the only place that you can get better better Mexican food than Chicago is Mexico. Probably. Or maybe SoCal. Yeah. But yeah, I get it. But like, right. it's, it's a thing that we do. We have more Thai restaurants mm-hmm. and taquerias than anywhere else I can think of. No. And it is kind of great. But, but you're right about the musician thing. I mean, there is a community there. And Langford is big. And I mean, he's very much a guy who's in that community and like a representative of it. But he is approachable, nonetheless. Like I look well, at John got, Langford got, as being a legend, and like I don't think he thinks of himself that way. Well, he's got he's got like a big art. Um, his, his art studio is in Avondale, not far from where I live. Oh yeah, you know yeah, and, and he just works there, and he does his thing, and he's he's a very distinctive artist with everything that he designs. Yeah. Just amazing work that he does. And how and, is how is Avondale these days? Is it still a metal community? Well, I mean, he's kind got, of a metal place to be. <laughs> I mean, you got Kumas. Yeah, you got the Kumas thing, and uh, you've got like Bucket of Blood, uh, which is oh, yeah. a, a yeah. indie an indie bookstore, which is fantastic. Most of it is horror and sci-fi stuff, which is not my thing. But they have like another section of books for uh, 
that are not falling into those buckets. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I'm on a, a journey to read all of the books that I have in my library before I buy new books. Good luck uh, with that. I, yeah, well, it's it's a goal, you know. It's like I'm I'm turning 45. I'm on the back nine, you know. I've got I'm gonna make sure I read the books that I bought. Otherwise, it's just like burning money. Uh, so that's important. I don't know. I, I have a library where I'll never get through all the books. All right. well, it's know, more important for me to own them than read them. Yeah, well, I know. that's very aristocratic of you. Apparently. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on in uh, Avondale. And, uh, you know, the community's diversifying a little bit more. It's yeah. not just... It's not just about Kumas anymore, but yeah, well, that was the draw for a while. Yeah. And like a lot of the bands that are like local metal bands, like Oozing Wound. You ever heard of them? You know that band? No. This is a local no. metal band. They're pretty great. Oozing Wound. There's a lot of local metal. Like Chicago's got a thriving metal scene, and Avondale for a while was kind of like like five years ago was kind of like the place to go and be into metal. Like, because it was maybe all, they were Kuma. over in West Evandale or something. Maybe like, like they're pretty because it's cheap. Yeah, and they want to live in a place where they can pay next to nothing for rent, crash on a mattress on the ground, and drink like you know a bottle of Jack every once in a while and some shitty beer. Uh, yeah, oozing wound is pretty, like the Onion has their uh, their thing they do, which I like, which is they play, they have a band do a cover of another band's song, and they were I undercover. remember was, undercover. Yeah, oozing wound did a Blink 182 song. And I don't know anything about Blake 182, but they changed it to a minor key, they made it very metal, and they took the upbeat chorus and turned it into some doom metal shit. And it is like speed metal to that fucking song. It was awesome. It was amazing. I watched um, that video yeah. five or six times, I'm like, I don't even know Blake 182 song, but this is great. Uh -huh. Whatever this is that they turned into, it's better than I guessed the original. Cool. And it's just like these like bearded, long-haired like, dirt like bags. It's a public service. It's a public service <laughs> effort. It's like make, hey, anybody who can make Blink-182 cool is, is doing a public service for humanity. Well, there you go. And that's Chicago musicians doing. Yeah. going to sort of, you know, culminate with Rain Dogs by Tom Waits. So here it is, my hero, and my favorite Tom Waits record is Rain Dogs. So we have the accordion intro, and then here comes Tom. How can you mistake that gravelly voice? And on guitar is Mark Raveau, the very avant-garde guitar player Mark Raveau, who worked with John Zorn and all those guys. Jeff's already making a face. Not, not feeling it. Uh, it's okay. It's, an, it's not for everybody. Rain Dogs is my favorite Tom Waits record. You know that record too well? If not, I gotta send it to you. I don't. Yeah, I don't know a lot of his earlier stuff. I, don't, I mean, I love all of Tom Waits. I don't. I have it. I don't have an encyclopedia out. Encyclopedia knowledge. Do you have Rain Dogs? Really? Yeah. It's kind of like like Rolling Stone put on their hundred best records list. It's like one of those. If you want to check out what Tom Waits is doing and you're not a huge fan, like this is the one that always seems to get recommended. And it's because like if you listen to side one of it, you will hear five different types of Tom Waits songs and it's everything he's capable of kind of a record. So I get why it's always recommended, but the first five songs of Rain Dogs are like his best five songs. Like I think it's the strongest material. And after that, he kind of has been on a slow 
like he's doing a little self-parody sometimes, I get it. Like Dylan is doing that. Like everybody kind of, you, you live long enough and you I, become I a self-parody. Think, yeah, but a lot of, some of his, I, w- I would say some of his later stuff isn't really self-parody. I think it stands pretty well. His last so, record isn't. His last record's good. Yeah. Uh, Bad As Me with uh, that song Chicago. Oh yeah, Bad That's As Me. That's a great song. Yeah. And some of the mini operas he did before Bad oh, As Me. Oh, uh, Alice and Blood Money. Yeah, Alice and Blood Money are fantastic. The one record of his, Everybody the old, Row. Everybody oh, that's Row. Amazing. Everybody Row. The record of his he made that I'm like, all right, get it. This is bad. Is Mule Variations, I think, is the most self parody Tom Waits record. Huh. It's not my favorite Tom Waits record because I feel like he's kind of just resting on his laurels. But then after he did that, he decided, fuck that, I got to do something new. And he's but done the, more interesting stuff. Uh, the interesting thing is, like, even if he was resting on his laurels, all of that stuff that he put on there is fantastic. It's not a bad record. Which just right. indicates what the kind of the, the level of talent yeah. that he has and he's playing on that sort of thing. But I think, like, if you are around long enough, you do be, have threatened to become like, I'm a legend and I can just kind of do what I usually do and people will buy it. Which, you know, like Bowie put out two records before he died. And uh, his last one is really out there. And I like it because it's out there. Yeah. Oh, and the one was, that came before it, which was a little less the, experimental. The Last Day. The Last Day. The, the Last Day. It's not I, bad. It's good. You know, but it's, 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 got, it's, it's got, not surprising. Yeah, it's got, you know, no, it's not, it's, you know, it's very, it's not experimental or anything, but it's no. got like Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is one of my, is a great song. And, um, um, well, the, the, Where Are We Now? Where Are We Now yeah. is great. And well, the song, the song that he did with uh, the video, the, I can't remember the, the song, but it was a video with um, Tilda Swinton. I think that starts was... starts out with, uh, we've got a very nice life, don't we? That was Black Star. Yeah, that was a different record, I think. No, that was not Black Star. Really? No, that was... That was the last day? That was the last really? day. And um, um, that was on the last day. And that was well, Tilda Swinton song. is kind of Bo- David Bowie in female form. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I would I would commit crimes against humanity for Tilda Swinton. <laughs> uh, she's I, amazing. I, she's yeah. amazing. And everything that she's done, I've loved her since Orlando. Orlando. Yes, uh, me too. She's a first time I saw her. Actress. I love her in that. And I even love. You know, it's like it's a it's a real cheesy movie, but I love Constantine. I love Constantine. And, and I love. I mean, she's great I, in I that. Think, I think everybody's great in that. I love Keanu Reeves in that. When, when, she is great in that. When Tilda and, uh, Swinton steps on Keanu Reeves yeah. with the full angel wings and she has yeah. his foot in his mouth, I would lick those toes. Uh-huh. It's, yeah. it's, it, I, uh, I became yeah. a fetishist for Tilda. A huge Tilda Swinton fan. Yeah, she's and great. Peter Stormare as Oh, he's Devil. amazing. It's, it's Lou. fantastic. It's all yeah. great. But, it's all but, great. But, like, but the song, like, but it was uh, uh, the Stars Are Out Tonight. The oh, stars I know that one. Are yeah. Out tonight. yeah, okay. That is from The Last Day. Yeah, and that's that a great song. That's an amazing video and it's like very, it's so touching. It's so emotional. And, but uh, I think that's the thing about Bowie is like that album is amazing. And it was Bowie kind of like coming back after 10 years of silence. Yeah. And it's like, is it a great Bowie record? Is it like low or Ziggy oh. or Hunky Dory? No, but it's a solid record. It's a and then record. he's going to follow it up with some amazing, bizarre avant jazz thing. Uh, yeah, well, and Black Star. Yeah, Black, just, yeah to Black, do, just to do it. Black Star is just an amazing monument to human desire and achievement and just wanting to like leave a legacy and I think we should all feel jealous to the extent that we're creators and we can create something even though he wanted to do more he was able to leave that gift to us and he knew that his life was ending and he was hoping to do more but he could leave that to us and I remember 
I was lying in bed in January and like my phone buzzed and I look at my phone and it's an alert and I don't remember where it was from. It was like David Bowie's dead. Yeah. And I I, I, I said I it was like six in the morning. I said, Kelly, David Bowie's dead. And we're just kinda like, huh? And it's one of those things where I don't think any of us ever thought that was David Bowie was ever going to die. Because he's not really human. And they, yeah, he was not human. You he's know, David Bowie, yeah. He just went back to his home planet. Yeah. But just, the thing was, that it was, and he was young, and nobody was ever expecting it. And, you know, that was the first thing that happened, and that whole year went to shit. Oh, yeah, that year was horrible. But, uh, no, 2016 was, was a fucking horrible year. You know, it was one of those things where I think that was more than anybody else that you know that I didn't ever knew who had passed away I think yeah. that affected me more so as a popular figure yeah. I don't usually get is, choked up about celebrity well, deaths the, but and, Bowie and, was bad and yeah. the funny thing is I, I was not even as big of a Bowie fan as you were yeah before that, I'd like certain Bowie albums, but like after that happened, I dug more into it. Yeah, and uh, and it was especially after seeing like the Bowie exhibit at the MCA, which was amazing. Yeah, and I was gonna say that is the best um, exhibit I've ever seen. Okay, so uh, we've been rambling for what two hours, yes. at least. And uh, how many whiskeys? We? We've got a stack of glasses here. It looks like Eric's on his fourth. I'm finishing off my fourth wild turkey. Wonderful. On the rocks. And uh, I've had a couple whiskey, uh, one whiskey only, and a couple of beers. I'm way behind you. Uh, maybe we should have a sh final shop. Well, well, we'll think about that. But anyway, uh, so I have my dog sitting on my lap now because my lovely wife is joining us on this podcast, at least in spirit. And she walked our dog over here to Cooney's Bar. So you may hear the jingle of his collar as I say goodbye. But um, this has been Drinking and Talking uh, with Eric Brunick. Uh, the wonderful and uh, lovely Eric. Oh, is that pizza? Did you order pizza? I did not. No, but we could eat some if we want to just take it. No, it's okay. Uh, steal it. No, but it's all right. Oh my God, it's a lot of pizza. Look at who did you order from? Is that Papa John's? Romeo. Romeo. Oh, Romeo. Well, thank you very much, Eric, for being here. My pleasure. Yeah. Any last things you want? Any last like shout outs or anything you want to give us before we go? No, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad we had to talk about all this interesting information. Yeah, sure. Just rambling chat.